Welcome to the Culture Cave. We are <laughs> talking about Back to the Future. There's no preamble. We're just going into it. Anthony, how the devil are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Back to the Future is one of my favorite films of all time. I'll keep this pace the whole time. I'll slow it down now. One of my favorites of all time, Conrad. Thank you. Um, is it fair to say that most of the people who love these movies are going to be our age? That's my first question to you. I wasn't born when this film came out. That's true. Nor, nor was I, actually. 1985. <laughs> Nearly a twinkle in my father's eye at that point. I, we're, we're, we're geriatric millennials, though. We sort of fit into that, broadly fit into that age range that, that would have grown up with this kind of stuff. Um, oh, okay. I'll tell you what. Let me, let me phrase this to you another way. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how upsetting is it to you that if this was made today, Marty McFly would travel back to the year 1992? <laughs> I mean, that is very upsetting considering I was born yeah. in 91. So I'm almost there. Almost. What's even more upsetting is that the future was seven years ago. Well, we'll get into that in a later episode. But yeah, him and Austin Powers both going back to 1992. There's this weird rule, I guess, in time travel movies where they have to go back 30 years. I'm not sure why they chose that. I think it's basically 30 years puts you right smack bang in the middle of like your parents teenage years so i suppose that's why it's like give you give your parents 10 years to finish uh secondary school and then get a family started and then you're like 17 18 whenever your time comes around to go back in time i think that's why the 30 years is there because you can almost guarantee most people's parents would be adolescents yeah no that's a good point and this is um as i said 85 is when back to the future was was made and this was smack bang in the era of I'm going to say children's films. This isn't really a children's film, but like I'm, I don't mean to do it a disservice when I call it that. But um, this was smack bang in the era when every kid's movie had an inventor father figure in it. And that's something that somewhere along the way as a society we lost. So you had Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. His dad's, his dad, uh, Rick Moranis is obviously an inventor of that. You had Gremlins. His dad's a rubbish inventor in that. And then you also had, this isn't a father figure, but I included it anyway, Short Round in the Goonies. Inventor. Oh, yeah, yeah, that counts. That counts. I feel like we've lost that. We don't have inventors in movies anymore. Well, I I know what you mean, but this one is a little different for me. This is a, sl- a little bit different because, after all, in the words of Strickland, you know, Doc Brown is big trouble. And the other ones, you know, they're actually very fatherly father figures, whereas Doc Brown's a real bad boy, you know. Rick Moranis almost kills his family. He doesn't almost sort of shatter the space-time continuum, so he's not as bad as Doc Brown, but there's there's a there's an argument to be had there. Doc Brown is a bad man. The guy literally stole from terrorists. The uh, the heady days of 1985 when the Libyans was like shorthand for villains. When when you watch this now, it's like what what's wrong with Libya? I don't understand. <laughs> it's usually the like you've got the Russians, you've got the Germans, different stages of when they're the bad guys. Then yeah. then then all of a sudden, 1985, the Libyans. I, I I don't think I've seen that in any other film. This was maybe at the height of like the Reagan era, uh, kind of fear of the Middle East. Oh, definitely was, yeah. I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing for this movie, but Ronald Reagan loved it. He did. Obviously, he was the president at the time this film was made, so they were sort of questioning us a little bit, I suppose, him being the president. Yeah, I mean, you know, look at what we ended up with, is all I'll say in response to that. <laughs> like, we thought it couldn't get any worse with Ronald Reagan, and we were wrong. 
but yeah, so just to give a little bit of, of, uh, of background before we dive right into it, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale wrote this together with Steven Spielberg kind of pitching in some ideas. He's not credited as a producer on this one. But those two, they were young, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. They needed to they needed a hit because they'd made a bunch of terrible movies before this. Uh, Robert Zemeckis had directed, I think, Romancing the Stone, which... Have you ever seen that? It's like a Michael Douglas bad... Indi- well, it's not bad, but average Indiana Jones movie. No, I've never seen it. I, I immediately thought of that film... What's the what's the one with like Macaulay Culkin where he becomes a cartoon? That's the one I thought. Uh, of. Oh, the Page Master. Yeah, I don't know why I Lovely. thought of that film when you no, said that's that a ve- <laughs> that's a very different movie. Um, but but yeah, no, I I, I want to say it's Michael Douglas and Kim Cattrall in Romancing the Stone, and he's basically a poor man's Indiana Jones. Uh, so that's what Robert Zemeckis was up to before this. And, and, like, this is them swinging for the fences. This is them going oh, for yeah. it, to be honest. Like, they could have just, you know, they could have played it safe. They could have made something a little bit more generic. But they were like, no, we're going to make a bloody time travel movie. We're going to make a time travel movie where the main storyline is incredibly reliant on someone not being disgusted with incest. And it bloody works. It does. But I think the strength of this movie and where the first and third one have that in common and the second one less so is that they are basically really fun fish-out-of-water period movies where you get to know this, essentially the same cast of characters, but they kind of move them all around and put them in sort of slightly different characters in different settings each time. And that's that's the fun of it. And they, they really nail that formula first time out, and then they just use it again every other, every or well, subsequent movie. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, 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 it's a fantastic ensemble cast, and uh, I, I love how, like, you say like they're the same cast of characters it really is because as you go to different times they just have the same actors playing the same characters which is is an interesting choice because it makes the present day 85 whenever they're all already done up if you if you fall for that if you fall for that makeup then you must think that the cg on those younger ones is unbelievable I'll be unreal. You see Crispin Glover in, in 1955. It's like, how have they done that? That's the most amazing... It must be some kind of computer graphics that they've applied there. And and a lot of those characters then, like, they are... The word iconic gets thrown mm-hmm. around far too much these days, in my opinion. But I think there's at least two characters in this movie that I would call absolutely iconic characters. First, we meet him early in the movie. It's Dr. Emmett Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, and his crazy white hair. Never ages a day in any of these movies. I think in this one, they put him in sort of very, very mild prosthetics to make him look older in 85 than he looks in 55. It's just like just a slight wrinkling around the eyes. And they, like, by the second movie, they've corrected that. We'll, we'll get to that next week. But um, oh, yeah, yeah. it is funny because it's just because he looks no different. My question to you on the introduction of Doc Brown is... And I know you're a fan of looking at the granular details of these movies. So this one... This one, I'm curious what you're thinking on it is. He sends Einstein on the first successful test of the time machine. We know it's we know it's the first successful one because he says as much. And the implication there is that he was fairly confident that this time it would work because he's sending Einstein. Yeah, yeah. And o- that also then, following on from that, implies that he has done other tests. So, my question to you is, how many animals did Doc Brown kill off screen <laughs> before this successful test run? Do you want a real answer? Because I, I would, yeah, I'd love, sure. to, I'd love to sit here and imagine with you, like him sending a budgie <laughs> back in time. or Yeah, what was the order? Was it budgie, dog? Oh no, dog was Einstein, so it has yeah. to be worse than dog. So it's like, I don't know, ant, mouse, yeah. budgie, 
Canary, yeah, Canary down the down the coal mine. I honestly, I don't think that he sent any backs uh, already. But what I will say, earlier on, uh, whenever Marty was around his house, uh, finding, you know, we all pay it, pay visits to 50, 60-year-old scientists before before we go to school. They don't pay much time uh, <laughs> establishing why this 17-year-old boy is spending time with this 50-year-old no inventor. <laughs> no, there's no time at all. You know, even Rick and Morty, when they remade it, made it his granddad. Like, this, this is no, yeah. there's no relation whatsoever <laughs> here. But basically, from that moment when he's on the phone to Doc in his own house, Doc says that all the clocks in his house are 25 minutes slow. It worked! It worked! Now, this is my question to you. What experiment was he doing if he hadn't sent any dog back in time before? Why are his clocks in his in his house slow? Surely it should be the one that he has is slow. I don't understand what's going on. This is this is an example of a bit of writing in this show where they're just like, let's set up that there's something to do with time going on. Yeah. And, and they have no idea what that would actually really be. You know, that question that he asked. You say that, but like by the end of the third movie, the, the whole shape and scale of a time machine has just been thrown out the fucking window. <laughs> so it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they retroactively in the third movie were like, oh, his whole house is a time machine. At this point, and that, like, that's why, that's why all the clocks are twenty-five minutes. Like, but also the plutonium was in his his apartment. That's not safe. Did he steal two boxes of it? Because he was away doing. Oh yeah, that's a good point. He was away doing experiments. Why did he not have the plutonium with him? It's it's just <laughs> yeah. so. Because he, but at that point he'd been away for ages because the dog food was piling up. Listen, Doc, what's going on? I agree with Strickland. I, I talked about it before. He is bad news. That's one thing that I actually do find funny. Uh, you know, breaking kayfabe here for a minute. What the hell is Strickland talking to Marty about when he says he's bad news? Throughout the three films, we never get any inkling of why this man thinks Doc Brown is bad news. No, I mean, but you know, put, I mean, put yourself in his position. You're a teacher at a school. You know that this seventeen-year-old boy is kind of—he's—he's uh, fr- he's from you know a not very successful family. His mind is is liable to wander, and then he starts hanging out with this like crazy old man on the edge of town. Like as a te- you know, you're a teacher. You've got to pull that young man back into the fold somehow. You've got to say like, listen, this is not going to end well. Yeah. But I don't do it in like in a tropey way where it implies that like he's going out with the doctor. Like this is the thing: if, if, you just, <laughs> if you just took this part of the film where he's like, stay away from him, he's bad news, and just applied that to any teen romance where like the girl's been told, stay away from that boy, he's a bad boy, you know, like George Costanza in Seinfeld. So what you're saying is that Doc Brown should have turned up in like a leather jacket on a motorbike <laughs> yeah. instead of a DeLorean, like yeah, that'd been great. Marty goes back in time then. Oh, before he does go back in time, Conrad, the date he goes back in time is very, very important because the reason why he is able to go back in time to this date is because Dr. Brown remembers it randomly, puts it in the machine. Why did he randomly have that in his mind? Because that's the date he invented time travel. Why would he not remember why he knows the date before he puts it in? Well, I've written you a poem, Conrad. <laughs> what a what a wonderful way to kick off this new format. Go on, man. Right, let's, say, let's say this poem on time travel. Okay. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. Time travel, plutonium, and dock. He will remember the 5th of November. As it's essential to the plot. 
<laughs> Lovely. I like. I like. I like the, the. I like the irregular meter of that as well. <laughs> like I thought it was going to be. Um, it's not a limerick. I can't remember what the what the structure. No, it's is literally after, uh, the exact re- replica of the remember remember the fifth of November gunpowder treason and plot. Come on, comrade. Um, no, I mean I recognised it. I'm just saying that was like um like the sort of Transformers or the opposite of the Transformers <laughs> yeah. theme song. You know the bit at the end of it when they're like Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. It's like <laughs> yeah. we didn't you, we didn't need that many syllables in that short space of time I gotta get it across I gotta get it across yeah. and you know who is a better poem writer than me scrambling it down while watching a film Conrad if, if you know yeah. if someone wants to step up to the plate be my guest <laughs> no, that was wonderful and what a way to introduce us to an era when poetry was was very popular the 1950s in the 50s we meet my two favourite characters in this movie we meet them at the same time for me the other the other brilliant character in this movie apart from Doc Brown is Biff Tannen he is an all time great shit <laughs> Tom Tom Wilson I, I don't know that Tom Wilson has ever played another role apart from this to be honest pretty sure he was the PE teacher in John Apatow's Freaks and Geeks oh I never watched that that show um, but I mean that would been that would certainly be very on brand casting <laughs> yeah, yeah PE teacher but he's yeah he's one of the biggest dicks in movies ever and I think where this character goes or where the Tannen legacy goes <laughs> is interesting because in this he goes from like he can sort of run the gamut of comedic bruiser all the way to legitimately menacing but my word by the end of this series of movies the tannins have become something much more much more like kind of machiavellian and evil i mean it is true but i also like like we all know where he goes into the third we'll talk about that more when we get there but i like the idea of like a wet old west bad guys lineage eventually ending up the jocks in high school who will sexually abuse the women because let's let's not let's not beat around a bush here biff is very very ready to severely sexually abuse uh lorraine at the end of this film if it wasn't for my boy george george mcfly there would be some horrible horrible trauma there yeah absolutely and well let's talk about him then crispin glover is an actor who always plays the weirdest fucking guys like he just he has the mannerisms and voice and face of a man who always just has to play weirdos. Yeah. He's he's very weird in this. He's very weird in Friday the thirteenth, part four. Um he has a very he has a very kind of like bird like way of moving where he's always kinda of like and like kind of darting about the screen. Um like his bones are hollow. I I do like him. I do like George McFly. Um, I don't think he's up there with Biff and Doc Brown though, I'm gonna say. Oh really? Uh okay. Well fair enough, that's your opinion, man. Uh I personally really love him. I Get me a milk chocolate, iconic. That is good. You are my density, absolutely iconic. That doesn't. Ma- it doesn't make any sense. That that line always annoys me because it's like he he's an educated boy. He knows the word destiny. No, he's 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 nervous, Conrad. See the Conrad. Conrad, not everyone's a hunk like you, right? You you, you don't have the problem talking to the ladies. So, yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. Some people like George McFly get very hot under the collar having to talk to someone like. I've been Lorraine. called out here. Yeah, <laughs> if I was talking to Lorraine, I would have simply walked in, dipped my comb into a. <laughs> a cup of coca-cola comb my hair back elbowed the fucking jukebox and we'd have been off to the races i mean george mcfly you know he's he's the closest thing to an incel this film has unfortunately no off, 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 off. oh no 
poor George. Well, fortunately, I should say, uh, he does actually end up getting the girl because the fella who was going to take his girl was, in fact, him and that girl's son. So he's lucky that he had him on his side. Because see if, see if Marty McFly was not, or Calvin Klein, I should say, was not related to either Lorraine or... Uh, well, I suppose just, just Lorraine. There's no chance George McFly's getting in there. No chance. No. I mean, it's already pretty unconvincing, to be honest. Like, the, the way that, that Leia Thompson is with with uh, with uh, Marty McFly, it's like, come on, that ship has sailed. But, I mean, credit to credit to George. He swing, swings it back around. Yeah. So, uh, one thing I wanted to... I mean, we kind of have to talk about this before we, before we kind of get into some interesting trivia about this movie. Um, the end of this movie, I split it into two sections. I think the, the sort of... Uh, the 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 DeLorean racing to to ca- catch the lightning strike at City Hall is um one of the most I genuinely mean this. It probably sounds like a joke when I say this, but it's one of the most tense endings to an action adventure movie I've ever seen because so much goes wrong. It's just like con- things are constantly breaking, and you know it's Doc Brown's fault, really. Like he should be. Every problem that happens is really as a result of him failing to plan properly and prepare. But it is just like moment after moment of something going wrong and and the audience just being like ah for fuck's sake he's gonna miss it yeah all set to the the cutaway tunes of the dance as well so it's like sort of really interesting the way that they reprieve you from that i'm a a huge lover of these films and i think the last 20 minutes of this one is one of the reasons for me that the whole trilogy is iconic i Mm. think the way it all gets sewn together at the end of this film is just unbelievable the tension is high as you say um, and obviously the, the payoff is huge as well. If, if they need a way to get a car through time, Doc and Marty are your, are your fellas, because that's basically the, the layout of these three films. Give them a piece of paper or a picture which can change. Yeah. Tell them that they have to f- find a weird way to go through time. Yeah. And you've got you've got <laughs> yeah. Back to Future, mate. I, I'm, I'm telling you, they break away from the formula a bit in the second one. It's not a coincidence that that's the worst movie in the trilogy. Because, <laughs> like, they, they, like, when they go off, when they go off book, they struggle. But stick to, the, stick to this formula. Conrad, as as good as the, the ending is, I think there's also that tension involved in is he going to get his parents together, and that's the really that's the really interesting side yeah. of the tension for me because the whole build up of uh you know him sitting in the car with his mum and he sees his mum drinking and like you know she kisses him and says it feels like I'm kissing my brother and then like you know he he, he gets out of the car Biff jumps in he's gonna do his horrible horrible things which is really dark to be honest with you. Um, and then and then George McFly comes and knocks his lights out. The 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 classic moment in this movie. I mean, this is the movie that repopularized Johnny B. Good for more than one generation of people. I think. Like, I, I mean, I, I can't speak for people when they were going to watch this movie in 1985. Maybe maybe Chuck Berry was still well known at that point. But um, I, I I certainly think it's fair to say that that song ha- can attribute a lot of its longevity to this movie. Um, and it's a wonder that that's the case because his guitar solo in that song is fucking awful. It really, like, it's what... I know it's supposed to be, but it's like, e- even before it gets bad, even before the rest of the band are like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, th- when people are still jamming along to it, I'm like, he's already left the key behind. I don't know what key he's playing <laughs> in at this Well, point. to be honest with you, I actually really like that he was playing it. At least he was playing it, right? And he didn't leave the key behind. They left it behind. Because he's oh. the one who said to them, watch <laughs> me for the changes. Are you saying it's like jazz? <laughs> they just don't understand. Yeah, yeah, well, blues riff, blues riff in B, I think he says, or something like that. What I, I will say is, when it showed his hands play in that, right? Although it wasn't the best rendition of it, every other film 
would show the hands and then cut to the head and, it, and as if as if it's the star playing but it's not at least he bloody did it you know what i mean at least he did it and that's what i love about him uh, well it wasn't him singing though it wasn't him singing F- fair enough fair enough okay yes yeah, so that uh that, that basically concludes the movie then they play johnny be good the the picture restores itself everyone's happy jump back to the future biff's a, a coward now uh crispin glover and um and leia thompson are very much in love or george and lorraine i should say are very much in love his brother and sister are successful now they don't fix the brother that always annoys me that the lorraine's brother um you know they're, they're like he's in jail oh yeah joey better get used to these bars kid exactly <laughs> and for the rest of the movie series it's he's just it's still in jail no matter what they do like they don't fix his his jail time which always seems quite sad to me which you know for the, all the reagan love uh as well uh, as well as the uh insinuation that you know once a criminal always a criminal you know i don't know i don't know what what's the message of these films conrad but uh i'll tell you what the message isn't consistent time travel because uh <laughs> already now uh, now i'm gonna blow my top uh in in parts two and three when we get to them but part one there's already a couple of things to notice about what is going on so they're trying to have their cake and eat it too as the saying goes right what they're trying to do is they're trying to insinuate they're going back in time for the first time um and therefore they're they've screwed up the whole George and Lorraine's uh, relationship, so they have to fix it, right? We know that Marty hasn't been back in time before, and we know that the past of the universe wasn't the same because the mall changes from Twin Pine Mall to Lone Pine Mall because he knocks down one of the pine trees, right? So we know it's a different 85 because obviously his dad's published author. We know that. And yet they're still trying to have their cake and eat it too by throwing in stuff like Mayor Goldie Wilson getting the idea to be mayor from Marty. You can't do it. He didn't get the idea from Marty. So you're you're saying that like stuff like that because he was already mayor in the original 1985. What's the point in showing us Marty was responsible for it? Yeah, that is a good point. But I mean, you know, maybe he just made him do it earlier or something. He just convinced him to to run sooner than he would have. No, no, yes, but I don't like fine Conrad. You've got a log- <laughs> you've got a logical head on you. We've talked before about films show us things because they want us to think something. Yeah, this film wanted us to think that Mayor Goldie Wilson got the idea from Marty to run for mayor. They wanted us to think that. I don't care about thinking any more deeply about it. As well as that, the clock tower. Now Doc Brown put a bloody weather thing on the top to make it get hit by lightning, but the clock tower already needed repaired. That's a, yeah, that's true. So I don't know what caused that. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, okay. So there's there's a lot more stuff like that. All right, there's there's two more. The first one is is that first of all the the photos fading. Right, the way these photos fade is absolutely ridiculous to me. It implies <laughs> that if Marty just stopped, see at the beginning when his brother's head disappeared from the photo, yeah. <laughs> if he yeah. just, if he just stopped trying and went back to eighty five, does his brother just exist with no head? No, he's like in like a he he would exist in like a liminal space. He'd be like a ghost, like he'd sort of be semi see through, but still there. <laughs> yeah, like like how does that work? Like yeah. I, either you've got to exist or you're not. You're not gonna like just like oh my god, we're we're slowly ruining the future. You know, he's he's gonna have no head when we get there. <laughs> he's only gonna be a pair of shoes. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, he'd be like he'd be like the dad in uh, onward like he'd just be yeah. he'd be a pair of uh, just a, a set of legs that walks around yeah and the worst one conrad the worst one at the beginning of the film we see marty mcfly being towed around by uh, a pickup truck on a skateboard yeah yeah how did that skateboard exist if marty mcfly hadn't invented skateboards yet uh yeah that but i mean again like maybe it's just implying that he's seizing 
the rightful credit of inventing the skateboard from I don't know who invented skateboards. Some Calvin Klein, Calvin Klein, Calvin Klein invented the skateboard. I can tell you this right now. As someone who has skateboarded in his past, that thing would handle like absolute shit as well. Like, there's no way that you could get hit some of the moves that he was hitting on, like, on that. On that, uh, what was essentially a plank of wood with <laughs> yeah. with like a single set of wheels underneath it. There's no way, no way in a million Legend. years. Legend, right, Connor? There's 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 my there's my round over with. Let's get on to the trivia. Lovely, yeah. Let's head in some trivia then. So first off, it's a very popular. Uh, bit of trivia about this i'm sure lots of people listening already know it but i I have to do my due diligence and say it eric stoltz initially cast to play marty mcfly because michael j fox was unavailable they do eric stoltz is kind of like a squint and they could be the same person version of michael j fox yeah um and there is a test footage of the diner scene with the the great shot of like uh, marty's face coming around george mcfly with eric stoltz uh filming that and it does you know it looks okay i don't think it would have been as good a movie but Honestly, Michael J. Fox isn't the reason that I love these movies, so I'm prepared to accept that Eric Stoltz could have done a good job with this. Yeah, yeah, he probably could have. You can't you can't really have a YouTube video about Back to Future 1 without mentioning that, though, so we've mentioned it. Yeah. Also, um, as well as that, apparently he was, like, method acting and everyone had to call him Marty. So whenever <laughs> everyone said, oh, we've had to fire Eric, they all were like, who's Eric? <laughs> that's great it was like the, like the jared leto of his day just like method acting in entirely inappropriate situations next bit of trivia everyone knows this but i'm gonna mention it anyway well most people think oh the delorean that's an irish car do you know where in the, the fair emerald isle the delorean was assembled belfast it was it was dunmurry in belfast you know how i know that go on how because my father worked at the factory. Did he really? Well, there you go. Fucking hell. That's knocked all the other YouTube videos into a cocked hat. Not only did we know that, but we knew someone who worked, on the, worked in the bloody factory that, that produced <laughs> yeah. it. Conrad, I've got, a bit, I've got a bit of trivia for you. Go on. Apparently, when Doc Brown refers to 1.21 gigawatts, that's actually just uh, a pronunciation that was around at the time of gigawatt. It's, uh, it's not actually with a J, it's with a G. And therefore, that does confirm... That even though Doc Brown's a bit of a legend, he is one of those losers who says "jiff," not GIF. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, well, actually, now that's interesting because that theory wasn't posited until I'm going to say the year 2015. I don't actually know when it was posited. So has this Doc Brown gone forward to the year 2015 already at this point in this movie? Heard <laughs> that knob, call them GIFs. Internalize that to then call it a gigawatt, and then gone back to eighty five to the start of this movie. That's the real question, because otherwise, where's that pronunciation come from? That's like you, that's not something you just come up with on your own. Well, I think I think in like Romance languages, um, it is pronounced with a soft G, so they still say gigawatt, maybe. Okay, but you know, well, you know, let's not take it away. Doctor Ren is a bit of a loser there. Um, yeah, what an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> terrible scientist. Okay, um, last bit of trivia for me before we wrap up. Then uh, this is. Uh, heavily citation needed because this came from Wikipedia and I, you can't trust anything on there even though it has a citation um, originally George McFly uh, was, it, it, this is in uh, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis' early script so it never really even got to the, the point of production but originally George McFly was going to grow up to become a boxer after his knockout punch on Biff not a famous writer <clears throat> as he does in this can you imagine Crispin Glover trying to portray a boxer <laughs> like he's like a hundred pounds soaking wet I mean that is one of the most laughable things I've ever heard in my life <laughs> yeah. like yeah. as if you're like 18 years old or 17 years old you'd hit you knocks one person out 
and then all of a sudden yeah. that makes up for not being training since you were five you know what i mean yeah yeah well yeah he's like um he's like a, a saiyan you know he just he goes around trying to punch people after this and every time he gets beaten up he gets a bit stronger and that's how he that's how he gets into gets into boxing <laughs> yeah that's gonna do it for us uh this week on back to the future one we are doing back to the future two next week and then back to the future three the week after that uh, so join us for that give the video a like subscribe all that good stuff get involved in the comments let us know how you feel about back to the future everyone's going to be saying they love it so you know just just agree with that i would say to to like, hedge your bets um and yeah next week we're going where there are no roads apparently doc said they don't have roads there so we'll see that's that's all that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs>